Hey, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We covered about half of it last week. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I think we left off last week. We finished 16 verses. So we're going to pick up in verse 17 today. Um, before you, as you're doing that, let me draw your attention up here. Hey, this is a book by Jeremy Camp. Anybody know who Jeremy Camp is? Jeremy Camp is a, is a worship leader and um, how do I call him? He's a Christian musician, artist. Um, he's been around for a long time. He's a Calvary guy. He went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. Um, he's been in, with Calvary for a long time. And anyways, Jeremy Camp's, I don't know, he's got six or seven worship albums out. A lot of the songs we sing are, are done by Jeremy Camp. His first wife died um, from cancer, and Jeremy remarried. And now he's been married for quite a while to his, to his current wife. Well, he wrote a book on marriage just recently, him and his current wife did. And so it's kind of like a different spin on, you know, the one that we use as our, our staple for marriage. And if you've done any kind of marriage counseling or any marriage advice from us, if you came to couple study, you know that we use as our Bible for marriage the book called Love and Respect. Okay, highly recommended. The reason why I highly recommend it is because really the, 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 the bond for marriage, really like the bombshell for marriage in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 5. That's what we're studying today is about marriage. And it's kind of supplemental, but really the, what the Bible really has to say about marriage is found in Ephesians 5. And, and love and respect is just a commentary on Ephesians 5, so we love it. But this, so this is kind of a totally different reading. Like, it, it was funny because Levi Lesko was interviewing Jeremy about this book, and he was like, man, I can't believe you guys actually shared all that stuff in your book. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, well, you're just raw and open. Just like, we have problems. And we know that couples have problems too. And if, we don't, if we're not willing just to be open and share that we live lives like everybody else, then we're not going to reach anybody in order just to be open and honest. So it's just, it's just a raw book. They're telling their life story. They're encouraging and how they got through it. So I got two of them. Um, I have three. One's in my backpack that I'm taking with me today that you can't have. But there's two of these here. So if you want to borrow them, take them home, read them, bring them back. Just put it on the table when you're done with it. Um, and then somebody else can enjoy it, okay? There's two. Or it's called In Unison. You can get it on any, any place online. If you get out your phone, you order it on Amazon. By the time you get home from church today, it'll be on your doorstep. I'll put those in the back. So if anybody would enjoy that, just a little gift for you um, to borrow and bring back so somebody else can read it. Amen? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Are you guys there? All right, let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and Jesus, we, we, we thank you, Father, for the gift of marriage. We thank you for our spouses, and Lord, I pray for, for the marriages in, this, in our church. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our marriages as Christ followers. Lord, one of the things that we, we should be better at than the world is, is in the area of marriage and of loving one another. And Lord, in order to do that, we, we just have to know and believe what the Word of God says and be willing to follow it. And so, Lord, if, if there's those in here today, Lord, who just don't know what the Word of God says today, I pray, God, that you would, you would um, teach them today and encourage them. And Lord, for so many of us that, that know what the Word of God says, that's not our problem. Our problem is just doing it and following it and, and being disciplined and, and actually living out what the Bible says to do in our lives. And so, Father, we, we thank you and we ask God your blessing over today's study in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so bear with me again, wherever you are in here today, if you're single, if you're younger. Um, it doesn't matter if you're single or married or unmarried. It's, it's really something for everybody. But we are in a series right now, last week and this week, we'll be done with it after today, on marriage. So we're going to specifically tackle marriage. 
You know, one of the things that I shared with you guys last week was um, when, when I first got married, I married the pastor's daughter. And so the pastor wanted to make sure that I took care of his daughter well. And so his plan was to make me the premarital counseling teacher at the church. But I didn't know nothing about marriage. I had just been married, you know, six weeks when he pulled me into his office, literally. And he's got big bookshelves the length of the wall. And he's going through his bookshelves and he's pulling out all these books on marriage. And when he's done, he's got a stack this big and he hands them to me and he says, I want you to read all of these. And I want you to come up with four sessions, one hour sessions for premarital counseling. You're now doing all the premarital counseling at the church. I'm like, you know, I've been married like six weeks, right? So anyways, that was kind of the beginning when I first got married. And over the years, it's something that he groomed Lydia and I in to do. And so we've read all the books. And then what he did was every year at our church, we did um, men's retreats, women's retreats, youth retreats, and we did a couple's retreat. And so it was always it was always great. And, you know, every year you would come to the, the couples retreat and you would see the same couples and the same couples. And you'd be like, you know, I know all these couples at church are having all kinds of problems in their marriage. Like they need to be here and they're not here. And all the good marriages are here. Why are all the good marriages here? Well, that's why they're good, because they're here, because they're working on their marriage and, and they're actively, and I don't care how long you've been married or what, it's something that we always have to be continuing to work on and do better at and, and invest in. And so every year, Dad would pick a different book, and we would read the book, and then at the retreat, he would teach through the book. And so, you know, I, I guess what happened over the years is I read lots of marriage books, I studied what the Bible says about marriage, and, you know, I knew all of the rules of, 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 of having a good married life. So you'd think I would just have a perfect married life, right? But I don't. I've had lots of problems, lots of ups and downs and fights. And, you know, but for with me, the issue is not that I don't know what to do. You know, the blessing, I guess, of, of having 20 years, 25 years of, of studying these books and knowing these things is that I can identify the problem, but I don't, always, I don't always exercise the discipline to follow them and to do those things. But I know how to fix it. I know that when there's problems at home, I know that when Lydia is is feeling unloved and when we're at each other's um, throats and things aren't going well, it's because she's feeling unloved. And if I want to fix it, I know what I have to do to fix it. I know how to fix it. But sometimes I just don't feel like it. You know? Yeah, I can go do the dishes. One, one of the many books that we studied, I mean, how many guys are familiar with the book, The Five Love Languages? So it's one of the series that we did one of those years. Well, um, I have the unfortunate pleasure of my wife's love language is acts of service. So I got to like do the dishes and, you know, vacuum and mop the floors. You know, I mop the floor. I take my shirt off because she said I never look so sexy than when I'm <laughs> mopping the floors. It couldn't, she couldn't have a love language like words of affirmation. All I have to do is tell her she's pretty, you know, like, no, not me. I got to I gotta go do the dishes and take out the trash and if I want to, if I want to tell her I love her. But, um, you know, and I think maybe there's some of us in this room and, you know, maybe you don't have the tools. Maybe you don't have the testimony that I've had and, and had to go through all these marriage books and know what the Bible says. And you've either stumbled through it or you just don't have the tools. We do marriage counseling. It's something, again, professionally that Lydia and I have done for 25 years and continue to do. And, and, and when marriage counseling is successful, it's when couples come who want to fix the problems but just don't have the right tools. And so if, if, you were, if you were working on a car and if a buddy came to you and said, hey, 
I'm fixing the carburetor. And he said, okay, well, you'll need a three-quarter inch wrench and a Phillips head screwdriver. Then he just gives you and he tells you what the right tools are. Now you have the, the right tools to fix the carburetor. Now you can go back, but you still have to use the tools, right? In order to, you still got to get under the, under the hood and work on it. So when people come for counseling, if it's just a lack of tools, that's what counseling is good at. It can give folks the tools that they need to go and make themselves a better marriage and, and fix some problems. You know, sometimes, again, if you're in the boat where I'm at, like, I don't know that how much marriage counseling would do me because I, I, it's not an issue of that I don't know what to do. It's this struggle of my flesh versus my spirit. Do I want to lay my life down for my wife as Christ did for the church, as God's called me to do? And if I'll do that, I know I can have a good married life. You know, I, I shared at the end of last week's message, and I said something like, don't waste my time, you know, because, again, we want to be open for our church family here to do marriage counseling and family counseling and love you folks and walk with you. But here's what I've done. I've had to do, unfortunately, many, many times, is folks or one person in the marriage has already decided that they're leaving. Oftentimes the person who's already decided they're leaving is already has a boyfriend or a girlfriend on the side that they're sleeping with. But they, they want to come to marriage counseling so that when they do get a divorce, they can say, well, I tr- we tried counseling and it didn't work. We did that. We tried that. But really, they, they didn't want to come and get tools and fix it. They just wanted to go through the motions. We, we, had, a, we had a couple, I think, and just really impact on my life as a pastor. And this, this couple comes in and um, we, we begin to talk in about 45 minutes and it just becomes very obvious that she is still madly in love with this guy and she just is feeling completely unloved. And, and, and I'm like, I look at him in the counseling meeting and I said, I said, this is so obvious. Tell her you love her. Show her you love her. Let her make sure she knows that you love her. She's feeling unloved. You need to pour into that. You need to meet this need that God has given her to be loved. And this can get better. This is not so broken. And, and, and I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to get up. I said, I don't need to be here. You need to fix this with your wife. And you need to look at her and hold her and assure her that you love her. And, and the problems can be solved and the outer lying problems can be, can be done. And there was two doors in my office, a back door and a front door. And, and, and I got up and I encouraged the two just to spend some quality time together as I left the office. And I went out the back door and I turned the corner in the courtyard and I was just going to wait for them. And by the time I got around the corner, he was already out the door. When I got up and walked out, he got up and walked out. Well, of course, come to find out a month later, he had already um, been with another girl. A month later when the divorce was done, he, got to, he was married to this other girl, and it was already done in his heart. And, and it was, you know, again, just, just a waste of time because he, he, he just didn't decide. All right, amen. All right, stop. Okay, hey, so... I want to recap what we went over last week because it's super important. Um, and, and I just want to make sure that we know it and we have it. There's some rules. And again, if you remember anything about chapter 7, chapter 7 is, it starts with this in verse number 1. It says, now concerning the things which you wrote to me. And so they wrote a letter and they asked Paul a bunch of questions about marriage. And he's going to go through them and he's going to answer these questions that, that they all have. Now, I found that there's, probably six different groups that Paul is speaking to. And, and for each one of you, I want to see how well you learned last week or how well I taught. But the first one um, is to um, the married, married 
people that are that are happily married or married together. The next group is for um, somebody who's married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever wants to leave. So the so first of all, for the married couple that are happily married, what does Paul say? Stay married. To the married, the person who's married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever wants to leave, what did Paul say to them? Let them leave. Not only let them leave, but you're commanded to allow them to leave when they want to leave. If you're a believer and they're not a believer and they, the unbeliever wants to leave, Paul says that you have to let them go. Now, the second um, one is married to an unbeliever who wants to stay. So if you're a Christian and your spouse is an unbeliever, but they're happy to stay with you, what does Paul say for that situation? Stay married. Well, I'm a Christian. He's not. I'm not supposed to be unequally yoked. Well, you're, you're in the situation now. And Paul says stay because you don't know, wife, whether you'll or husband, whether you will win that other person to Christ. And so maybe by your conduct and your love that that person will come to Jesus. And as long as that person wants to stay, Paul tells us in Corinthians that they're to stay. And then we have... Um, um, the single who want to marry. Okay, so for the single who want to get married, um, and then and then the single who want to stay unmarried. Now, first of all, to the single who want to marry, the, what Paul says to them is, "Do not seek, do not search for a spouse." Okay, does God know that you have need for a spouse? Does God know your desire to be married? Does God know that? Is your, is your desire to have companionship and be married, is, is that against God's will for your life? No. God gave you that. That's natural. Every one of us um, will, will experience that. But here's the problem. If, if you spend your energy seeking a wife or a husband, you're going to miss God's will for your life. And what God says is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you. And so if you're just pressing into Jesus and you're, you're, you're looking for Jesus, you're going to find a wife or a husband because God is going to bring it and on God's timing, right? And then the other um, one was the single who want to stay unmarried. Now, for this group, Paul talks a lot about this because this is the group that Paul was in. He was single. He wanted to stay unmarried. But I want to I be clear on this group. If you feel like God has called you to stay single, you must possess something. Does anybody know what, what you have to possess? You have to possess a gift from God to be able to stay celibate. Okay? And what that is, it's a supernatural gift that God gives you to not um, lust and have those desires for a man or a woman that are natural in your life. And the problem is when some folks, and even in religious circles and church things that's happened over the years, is that they forced people in the name of God to stay single who didn't have the gift. And they still had the urges and desires, and it ended up in all kinds of wicked perversions that put a black eye on the church. Because they didn't have that gift, and so you can only be single. And now the reason, why would you want to stay single, first of all? Paul's talking about here the reason he stayed single was because it, it, it freed him up to do ministry and, and, and specifically for the ministry so that he could travel. And all of the times that Paul was in prison and in jail and all of the struggles that he had, having a spouse and dragging around her kids and all the cares that go along with that and providing, it would have been so difficult. And, but in order for Paul to be used in a greater measure for God, it was necessary that he stayed single. And for some of you, maybe God's called you into, into service for him and it's necessary and he's given you a gift to stay single. God bless you. 
And, and I think what Paul is, is trying to be very clear on through this entire chapter 7 is that it's not better if you're married or if you're single. And we, we want to make sure in the church we lose those stigmatisms that, um, oh, you're unmarried, what's wrong with you? Or, oh, you, you know, whatever, you're married. And, and you know, that, that it's okay wherever God's called you to walk in that. And even maybe God's called, I've seen people, um, several people actually I know that had the gift of celibacy for ministry. Both were full-time missionaries in a foreign country. And both of them, after like 20 years on the mission field, one of them maybe 10, the other one 20, Jeff got probably 20 years, Jenny was about 10 years, got married. So they had the gift and God used it for a season and they remained celibate and, and they didn't have a desire. And then, and then it came a season in life where God changed that and they met somebody and they got married. And so maybe your, your celibacy is um, just for a season. Amen? And so um, let me read to you. So just listen. It won't be in your Bible. But this is kind of an in summary, again, recap from last week because I want us to make sure we caught this stuff from last week. But this is the Message Bible. Um, so the Message Bible is by, written by Eugene Peterson. It's not a... It's not a translation of the Bible. It's a paraphrase. It's just kind of like one guy's idea of, of the meaning, but it makes it simple. The New Living Translation is another one uh, that's like that just for easy reading, but you wouldn't necessarily teach out of it or learn doctrine out of it, but it does help understand. Listen to what he says. I'm, in, I'm just going to read the first 17 verses of 1 Corinthians. It says, now getting down to the question you asked in your letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relationships? Paul says, certainly but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual desires are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balance of fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out, Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and if it is for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift to the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness must, might well be the best thing for them, as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. If you are married, stay married. This is the, ma the master's command, not mine. If a wife should leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. Jesus said there was one reason that he permitted for divorce, right? They came to Jesus and they trapped him. And, and, and Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts, God permitted divorce. But it was never God's plan from the beginning. But only in the case of sexual immorality um, would God allow or Jesus say that he gave uh, permission for divorce. And then in verse um, 
12 through 14, for the rest of you who are in mixed marriages, Christians married to non-Christians who have no explicit command from the master. So this is what you must do. If you are a man with a wife who is not a believer, but who still wants to live with you, hold on to her. If you are a woman with a husband who is not a believer, but he wants to live with you, hold on to him. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. As it is, they are included in the spiritual purposes of God. On the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let him or her go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it, as peacefully as we can. You never know, wife, the way you handle this might bring your husband not only back to you, but to God. You never know, husband, the way you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you, but back to God. So that was the first 16 verses. And then the last kind of sum up from last week that I want to be clear. I asked Lydia about this. She said, I think you were pretty clear last week. You did a good job, but I want to make sure. Um, in verse, look at, look at me with me in your Bibles to verse number um, 2, chapter 7, verse 2. It says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the, everybody say this with me, affection due her. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Man, you love that verse, right? Are you still sleeping this morning? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, verse number three, it says, let the husband render to the wife what? Affection do her. Okay. So I was very clear last week that men are simple. Okay. The affection do us is a three letter word. Starts with S, ends with X. Like pretty simple, right? You make me, but for women, I just don't want it to be read into this verse that that's their affection that's due them, that this is both ways. The idea is love and respect. The idea is that you should, as a Christian husband or a Christian wife, you should desire to serve your spouse. And men, you have to understand, and this is what we talked about last week, and again, I'm just reiterating, that the affection due your wife is different from the need that you have. She, you need to connect with her physically, and that meets your needs. She needs to connect with you, come on y'all, emotionally in order to meet her needs. And so if your needs are not being met men physically, then, then you, know, you need to meet her needs emotionally in order to meet hers. You don't go around the house quoting this verse, your body don't belong to you woman, it belongs to me, so bring it over here. You know? And if you have to do that, you've got bigger problems. You've got to try to quote Bible verses to get some. <laughs> but instead, what you need to do is quote Hallmark cards and start at 9 in the morning so that at 10 at night, life will get good for you. Because your wife's needs are different than yours. So we're clear on that, right? Women, your job is so easy. Take one for the team. What did grandma say? Why did he deny him something that takes so little time and means so much to him? Right? It's just simple. We're easy. We're, yeah, you got to get one track mind. You know what I mean? Oh, I get, oh. All right. There's children in here, but I got some good stuff, but I'm, I'm going to chill. 
Hey, one of the one of the verses in the Bible that has so much theological doctrinal meaning that we miss is a verse in Genesis when it says God created them male and female he created him. Okay? There's so much theology in that. Because men were created a certain way. And and, and as men, you know, we we were created the way we are. Listen, God didn't make a mistake when he created us. He made us that way. If you've got a problem, it's not with me. It's with my creator. And God created women, men, a certain way to be the way they are. But we don't understand it as husbands. And wives don't understand men in the way they process life. But what you have to understand is that they're made in the image of God and not by mistake. And I don't even know how theologically correct this next statement is, but I, I believe to some degree that God took some of his strengths and he gave some to a women, woman and some to a man. And a man doesn't have all the strengths and a woman doesn't have all the strengths. But then bringing them together, we're completing God. And, and because the, the way that God created us, love and respect, are magnets that are propelled in the opposite direction. So in essence, really the purpose of marriage is not to make you happy. God's design in your marriage is to make you more like Jesus. God's design in your marriage is to make you Christ-like. Because in order to have a good marriage, you have to die to yourself. And and you have to become more like Jesus. So this crazy woman that you live with, you can meet the needs that she has. And this crazy man that you live with, you you can meet the needs that he has. That are totally foreign to you. And so this is the idea of love and respect. You know the problem with love and respect? First of all, let me say this. There's no problem with love and respect. Except for that, we get a lot of resistance. I'm just being honest. You know, even, even in our recent couple study and in our, in our other church, or maybe I should say nobody in here, but in the other church I was in before, and, and they would just say, oh, you know, like, I can't, I can't do that. Like, you know, if I, if I just show my husband respect unconditionally, I'm going to become a doormat and, if I just love my wife unconditionally, I'm going to become a doormat. And, you know, I, I didn't write it. God wrote it, and it works, and it's real. And it's the resistance to the idea, but it's God's formula, and I promise you. And, and the way God designed it, you know, what happens when we fight, you guys? How does fighting work? Fighting is usually verbal um, boxing or sparring, right? Like you say something that throws a little jab, and the other person says something back, and, you know, and then we keep throwing these verbal jabs at each other. And everybody knows what the overhand right is or how to really get to your spouse. Sometimes in marriage, the overhand right is, well, if things are so bad, then why don't we just get a divorce? And, and you don't mean it when you say it, but you know that's the verbal jab that's going to come over the top and hit him on the chin. So you throw it out there. You don't want a divorce. But what happens in marriage is if you use that verbal judo and you don't fight fair and you continue to throw out these things that that you don't mean and, and they're, that, are, that are not God's will or plan for your life, you say it enough, eventually it can become a reality. Don't ever use that in a fight. Don't ever say the word the, 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 the divorce and, and, or leave and, and just cut that out of your married life. You're not going anywhere. Lydia and I say, you know, divorce is not an option. Murder, maybe. But, but not, not divorce. Like, I... You know, the thing is, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. So we can either fix this problem to the best solution that, that there is. Or, or we could put a Band-Aid on it and continue to struggle thinking that, well, things don't work out. I'm just going to leave anyways. 
And if you have that entertained in your mind that the divorce or leaving or changing is an option, you don't solve the current problems the best way. You don't solve them with a permanent solution. But if you know you two are committed until death do you part, then you'll probably want to solve each problem so that it's a permanent solution, a long-term solution, and that this person's going to be here forever, so I might as well make the best of it. Right? We want to have good married lives. Don't we want to, you know what I said, that God's design for marriage is not to make you happy, but do you know what also is, is, is included in marriage? A lot of happiness. That, that, that you are to be happy in your marriage. And it doesn't mean we, you know, when I say that, it doesn't mean that it's not about having emotions and, and, and being happy. You, you are to have joy in life. You want to just be miserable and grumpy with the person you're roommate with, you know, the rest of your life? Or you really want to enjoy each other and become best friends and love each other and really enjoy life together. Amen? And those things are the discipline that God's Word has laid out for us. You know, my aunt and uncle, one of the women who led me to Jesus, and her husband never really walked with the Lord, but she did not believe in divorce. And they were married 60 years. And for 40 years, they slept in different bedrooms. And I can remember that. And I can just and I loved and respected them both. But I, I can remember saying, man, I want, I want my marriage to make it. But not like that. That's not making it. I want to enjoy life. I want to enjoy marriage. And it's a decision that we make. And, and we were committed in it. Amen? All right. Are we going to get on with today's study or just keep going through last week's study? All right. One last thing. This is for you married couples. I want you guys to, I don't know how you can do it with your Bibles on your lap, but if you can look at each other, if you can hold hands, I'm going to ask you guys to repeat after me. Okay, I'm going to fix all your, mar- all, your, all your marital problems right now, okay? So look at each other and say this, I was wrong. Some of you guys are like, heck no. <laughs> hey, is anybody, is anybody old enough to remember happy days? Okay, a couple of you. Remember Fonzie? Like he had certain things he couldn't say. He couldn't say he was sorry. I, I'm so, 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 so. He just couldn't get the words out of his mouth. My wife is Fonzie, by the way. I, 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 I'm so, 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 so. She, if she ever does get the word sorry out of her mouth, it's naturally just attached to the second word right behind it. What's, what is that? I'm sorry, but you. I'm so, 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 so. Okay, all right, here we go. Look at your spouse. I am sorry. You ready? Please forgive me. Last one. I love you. Okay, now for you men. Can we do it now? I tried to like throw that out there quick. All right, now the men were supposed to say, can we do it now? <laughs> Did I do it right? Okay, no. Okay, I was wrong. I am sorry. That's how us guys think, right? Like, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. You know what comes next. Um, three letter, three words, three words, four, four phrases that'll change your life. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Listen, you know why we spend so much of our lives fighting? Because we, where, where did we get the idea? This is, and I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm not like preaching at you. I'm with you. But listen, where did we get the idea that life is about being right? About life is about, be, about being the right one in the argument. That, that life is about winning. About winning these, these meaningless fights of whether I never take out the trash or not. 
Lydia says to me, you never take out the trash. Now, there was one time in 1974 when I took out the trash. So now we're in this long diatribe about the word never because I did actually do it one time. The reality is I don't really take out the trash when I'm supposed to. But, but now we get in this big fight because I want to be right and she's wrong and we spend all of this time. Before we know it, we don't even remember what the original fight was about because it all became about who was right and who was wrong. Listen, who cares? I'd rather be right, I'd rather be wrong, I mean, and, and have a best friend. I'd rather lose in order to win, to, 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 to be relational and fix those things. Amen? All right. Um, You know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I know in Genesis it has the story of Adam and Eve. But uh, I have a buddy who's a little bit older than me, and he was friends with Adam. And he actually knows the real story in the garden. So a- Adam comes to the Lord, and, and, and he says to the Lord, he says, actually, no, the Lord says to Adam, he says, I'm going to make you a woman, and I'm going to make a helper comparable to you. And she is going to be the most beautiful physical specimen you've ever seen in your life, Adam. She's going to cook for you. She's going to clean for you. She's going to take care of your every beck and need. She's going to be your best friend. She's going to look beautiful 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the Lord, Adam was like, wow, Lord, that is so cool. Lord, what's a woman like this going to cost me? And the Lord said, an arm and a leg. And Adam said, Lord, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> so you guys are slow. Don't worry, Monday morning you'll get it. Yeah. All right, how about this one? All right. I got to remember how this one goes. Oh, the Lord, the Lord, ah, I'm going to forget it. I got the punchline, but I can't remember how it goes. All right, yeah, let's get it on. I'll it'll come back to me. Verse 17 is where we left off last week. I can put... But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordained in all the churches. And so again, the idea between this whole chapter is that, that Paul wants you to walk as you currently are. That if you're, if you're single, you don't need to long to be married. Just seek Jesus and he'll bring you a bride. If you're married, stay married and, and that you, you are as you are. Some people try to take this verse to, um, you know, which is true because you find this consistent in the rest of the Bible. But like if you were a biker when you came to Jesus, like you can still be a biker in Jesus. Like you don't have to change who you are. Your identity has to be in Christ. It can't be in the bike or in the surfboard or, or whatever those things are. You eventually want to get to the point where who you are as a person is a Christ follower who loves to ride motorcycles or who does these things. But that, that, that who you are when you come to Jesus, it's okay to stay that person or stay in that that place. And verse 18 says, Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be, be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So he says, if you're circumcised, let him not desire to become uncircumcised. I've never heard how that works. Supposedly there was, there was some, I don't know, surgery that, that would reverse it. But in verse 20, he says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. And that's the verse I was just talking about. That however God called you, that you can remain in that place. 
you know, and that you don't have to lose your identity of who you are, that you're welcome, that you come, you come as you are. And those things that you're passionate about, you can remain passionate about those things. And then it says in verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. Now, as you guys know, many of the, um, you know, the many of the people in the Bible were either slaves or in a community where slavery was 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 commonplace in the first century and in Europe. And so a lot of the, the audience that Paul was talking to were literally slaves. And so he says, if you're a slave, don't, um, you know, you don't, in order to follow Christ, now that you're a Christ follower, there was this feeling like, well, I have to become free or I can't continue in this lifestyle as a Christ follower. And Paul says, no, you can continue in that lifestyle as a Christ follower. And again, who you are, be who you are and be content in that. Paul said, I've learned how to be, be content. Whether I abound or whether I abase, I've learned to be content in all things. And that's Paul's heart here, is just be content. He says, if you can become free, of course, take advantage of that and, and use it to your advantage. But at the same time, don't worry about the fact. You don't have to be a freed man to, 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 to be used by God. Oftentimes, you know, in, in the workplace, the, the slave would, would have a master. But then when, when it got to church, the slave was the one God was and he would be the pastor or the leader in the church and his master would be somebody that would be he would be teaching or whatever and oftentimes was the case. And then in verse 23 he says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Pretty simple, right? 17 to 24. It's kind of the same thing repeated over and over again with the same concept. And then summed up in verse 24, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. And then in verse 25, now the last 40 verses, and the reason why, I'm sorry, from 25 to uh, 40 here, there's some things that were actually um, specifically for the first century, like with the slaves, for example. We don't have that today. It's not really um, crossover. He's going to talk about um, arranged marriages and some of the situations in an arranged marriage. And so some of this stuff I'll just kind of go through um, part of the reason why I really wanted to focus on the first 16, uh, but there's still some good stuff left. And he says in verse 25, now concerning virgins. Now, this could be male or female in this context. And, and here, um, by the time you get to verse number 26 on the bottom, he says, good for a man. So he's talking about males in verse 25, but he says, concerning virgins, I have no command from the Lord. Yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Now, um, basically, as we've gone through this chapter, have you guys picked up on the idea that sometimes Paul is saying, thus saith the Lord, like this is a command from God. And other times he says, well, God didn't command or direct this, but my opinion, my advice is, and then Paul like tells you that you could take his advice. At one point he says, because I'm, I'm really close to God. Another place, yeah, he does. He'll say things like that, which he can say, or he, another place he says, I'm a really trustworthy person. So you can believe what I'm saying. Well, here Paul says, I don't really have direct instruction from God for you, but my opinion is, and you guys could do that as Christ followers, right? As Christians, when, when someone comes to you and you're counseling or you're wanting to give advice, you, you have to be careful that you draw a line that it's not a thus saith the Lord. You know, if, if it's in the word of God and you can read it and you can take somebody to it and it's black and white, without a doubt, you can, you can make that a thus saith the Lord. Like God's word says this. But if you don't have that, but you just have a feeling about it, it's okay to say, listen, I, I don't know exactly what God's will is, but this is my advice for you in this situation. Amen? 
And that's kind of what Paul's saying. Like, I don't have it necessarily on contract from the Lord, but this is my advice. Oh, and then he says here in verse 25, whom the Lord is mercy has made me trustworthy. So Paul's like, this is my advice, but you can trust me because God made me trustworthy. In verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. So Paul's leaning, like, like Paul's really serious about people staying single. Like, he's constantly saying, yeah, it's okay if you get married, and, um, and then he comes back to it. But if it was me, I wouldn't do it. But if you do it, you're going to have trouble. And he, like, he, like, he just keeps coming back to it, Paul does. And, and so here he says that for this present distress. Now, again, um, there was a situation um, where a pastor had said to me, listen, you guys got to kind of follow this story. He had said in a public forum, I think we need to have more women teaching and leading churches. And so, um, so I understood, you know, culturally, that's kind of where we are culturally in the nation today. It's like this push for all of these social agendas, and one of them is to elevate women. And so I, I asked this pastor, I, I brought him specifically to the place in First Timothy where God forbids women from pastoring over men. Now, women biblically can have any position in the church except for senior pastor. And so um, I showed him this, this, this place, and I said, what do you think about these verses? Don't you think that, um, that God forbids what you're calling for? And he said, oh, well... He said that just applied to a situation in the first century, that that, that was specific to the church in Corinth or to Timothy that, 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 that Paul was writing to, and it doesn't apply to 2020. Now, I just want to warn you, that is the most dangerous approach to the Bible I've ever heard. Because if, if that verse in Timothy only applied to the first century, what about the rest of the Bible? And who gets to decide what is only for the first century and what is for 2020? Now, God has quickened his word. And even now, these are letters that were written 2,000 years ago that we're applying to our lives today because it's the word of God. And it is all relevant for today. And you can't take something, instruction from God's word and say, well, that's not for me. That was just for the first century. Except for this verse right here I'm about to read. This was for the first century. How do I know? Because Paul says as much. He says, for this present distress. Now, what was happening in this present distress was what? First century, single guys. What was happening? I just heard it. There was tons of persecution. Hundreds of thousands of Christians, millions of Christians were dying. They were being thrown into um, the lion's den. Nero was a famous um, um, general of Rome, and he was a madman. And he would take Christians and he would dip them in wax and he would light them on fire and he would ride his chariot through his, his, where the Christians were lighting up the way and he would be screaming, you're the light of the world! Because that's what Jesus said, we're the light of the world. So he'd light them on fire. I mean, there was so much persecution on the early church during this time that Paul says, because of this present distress or danger, it's better for some of you young men to stay celibate, to serve the Lord better. Now, the only purpose of celibacy and God to give somebody that gift is so that they're better prepared to serve the Lord. Amen? Dude, is it really 1135? They lied. They switched the clock on me. Oh my gosh. I am so sorry. I totally am really lost. All right, what are we going to cover for two minutes and then we're going to be done? Um, 
80. Okay, verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will, will have trouble in this flesh. Here goes Paul again. You could get married, but let me just warn you. If you get married, you will have trouble. Now, that, that's in the Bible, men, women. Is God saying that marriage is like a bathtub? It ain't so hot once you get in it. Some of you guys will get that tomorrow morning. But yeah, there's trouble. And then he's going to go on and he's going to say basically that um, verse 32 says, But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the word of the world and how he may please his wife. And that's just true. God is saying that if you can focus and you could be celibate, you can really focus on serving the Lord without any distraction. But if you get married, you're going to have trouble. And the reality is, as a husband, you're called to provide for your wife. You're called to provide for your family. And, and that, that takes time and energy, which you're supposed to do. Paul tells Timothy that if you're a Christ follower, and any man who will not provide for those of his own household is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever, Paul tells Timothy. So yes, as Christian men, we're called to provide. And again, you guys, don't get it twisted in all of this thing because Paul is definitely leaning one way because of his personal convictions. But the Bible says that a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. And it says that children are a blessing from the Lord and blessed is the man who has a quiver full of them. So the Bible, it, 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 God's design really for most of his people is to be married and have children. And, and then for those that he's called specially out, there is that gift of singleness or celibacy um, for that purpose. All right, you guys, we're just out of time. I'm sorry. Um, let's look at verse 39, though, before you your Bible's away, and then we'll be done. Because I'm going to preach this, and then we'll be done, okay? A wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she's at liberty to, marry, to be married to whom she wishes only, everybody with me, verse 39? Only in the Lord. Okay, so if you're a widow... You have met your marriage vow. Till death do us part. You've completed it. You've finished your race. And if you're, if you're a widow, a widower, God says there's no rules against you getting remarried that, that, that you can get remarried. And then he says, but as with any marriage in the house of God, in the Lord. The Bible says, and listen, this is a big problem in the church, you guys. It just is over and over and over again. And I get it, you know, like, and I get it here in Utah. But I want to encourage you guys, if you're single out there, don't settle. Who you marry is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers if you're single. Don't enter into a relationship with somebody who has a different faith than you do. Amen? God's warning because he loves you as his children. Let's stand together. Should we do a song or no? No, okay. I'm so sorry, worship team and the rest of you guys, but we, we had a communion this morning and then I lost track of time. So we're not going to be able to do a last song. We better rescue the kids from children's ministry um, so that we'll still have staff tomorrow or next Sunday. Um, let's pray together. We are going to have um, the prayer room open, okay? So when you leave here, if you make a left, you can go in there. We'd love to pray for you, um, pray over your marriage. There's a, a connection card in the seat back in front of you or in the foyer. 
And if you want some marriage counseling, if you want to meet with me or talk to somebody about that, you can fill that out. Give it to Darlene in the prayer room or drop it in the prayer box and let them know. Make a request to see me. Um, love to meet with any of you, whether it has to do with that or something else. If you want to meet, I'm always available for that. Uh, would love to do that. And so, again, um, if you need individual prayer, make a left when you go out of here. and We'd love to pray for you guys. Um, we'd love to see everybody have just a great married life. Okay? Highly recommend Love and Respect. These two books that I recommended, um, they'll, they'll be available too if anybody wants to borrow them. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Jesus, we do thank you for this chapter on marriage and, um, Lord, the, the, that the Bible lays out, Lord, the rules of, of what we're to do and what we're not to do. And, Lord, as husbands, I pray, Father, that you would help us to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I pray for the wives that you'd help them to respect their husbands and, and, and minister to that need. And that, Lord, for both of us, that as a husband and as a wife, that we would both desire to meet the other person's needs, knowing, God, that if I meet their needs, you're going to help, you're going to get involved, and you're going to make sure they meet my needs. And, and so, Lord, uh, just pray, Lord, again for healing. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, we would be better at marriage in the world. And I know we are, Lord. I know that for those that are in the Word and in church regularly, the divorce rate goes way down. And we thank you for that. And so, Father, I just ask healing and blessing over, our, over everybody that's in here today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. We love you guys. God bless you guys again. Make a left if you'd like individual prayer. And uh, we'll see you next week.